Not very. Like a couple of times I, I, a I, year, it's just like, "Hey, Rubicar," and like, "Yeah, Rubicar." Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like every every so often, Tim and I will be like, "Oh, let's talk about Grim Fandango again," and then also talk about the very sa- we have the same conversation every time. Very specifically <laughs> about how cool Rubicar is and how great it would be oh, to yeah. live there if it was actually some sort of purgatory. <laughs> And it's like, every time we talk about Avenger game, we always, like, sort of circle back to the same part. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 93. Pax is coming back, everything is broken, our flow is completely out of whack. I am your host, Tim Henderson. I know this doesn't normally happen, but you know what, I'm not going to be at Pax, and we will be recording a podcast from Pax, which will be the next one, and so... Numbers mean nothing. Rotations mean nothing. I'm in charge. I'm very sorry for anybody who was hoping to hear Huso or Ken taking the lead. Um, again, also very sorry for anybody who uh, who was hoping to hear Huso at all. Actually, he's not here, but you know who is here? Ken! Wow, that was a rambling, rambling statement. An opening line. That's, that's, thanks, thanks for the vote of confidence, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's what I'm here for, just to prop you up it's gonna, and then tear you down. It's gonna <laughs> co- like comment on your beautiful golden locks and <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. Hello, I'm back yeah, again. Instead, I'm gonna focus on your Howardus eyebrows. Um, yeah. Also, we have we have a um, not quite podcast version, but it's been a very um dry spell. But um, Nick, we've we've talked you into joining us. Yeah, definitely first time for joining on the Pixelcast, um, which I'm always happy to. Um, well, not always, but obviously... From here um, on out, happy to. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess probably not a known quantity to a lot of people listening. So, Wait. But we'll get there. But you're on, you there. are on the site, and that's we'll going to be, that's yeah, gonna be yeah. relevant. That's true, too. Yeah, it's going to become quite relevant, yeah. as is um, our topic, which is going to be largely reminiscing on good old classic point-and-click or just puzzle-solve the adventure games and maybe touching on some of the newer stuff that's come out as well, which we will inevitably do, but, um, Ken, your your avatar is red, your planet is red, everything is red, you're... You're not picking up my segue. Where are you, man? No, I, 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 I absolutely, I absolutely am picking up my segue. I just it, had to... It was reading them. It was taking a moment to to appreciate how good it was. I've been uh, terraforming Mars. Um, this is a digital um, implementation of uh, a physical board game, and uh, the board game itself has been out for a few years now. It's not exactly brand new, but you know, in the in the pantheon of of board games, it's 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 a it's a recent darling um i think it's it's got a quite a good strong buzz behind it uh, it's something i've been wanting to try but i have uh seen how complex the manual can be so <laughs> and i'm not one to shy away from complex board games but you know i, I people who who've been following this podcast for for some time will know that it's uh, it's been a while since I've been deep, deep into the hobby, so um, not entirely uh, ready to sink my money into buying a board game, getting the getting the rules, reading it cover to cover. So when this game became available on the Epic Game Store, because they're still doing their free 
game slash games, one or two free games every week, I I picked it up. And it's been sitting installed on my computer for the better part, I think, three months. Yes, I to say, how long ago was it now that they put it there? Ah, uh, probably about, yeah, probably about Quarter two year. or three months, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, trick with the Epic Games Store. You get the free game, but you don't install it, you don't play it. Yeah. Oh, I've got yeah. a massive catalogue, and I've played oh, like, yeah, absolutely. three things. Like, that, like that's... Uh, I turn on Epic Games Store, like, every Friday, just to see what's free, and then I down... And then I just, like, yeah. claim it. And that's pretty much all I use Epic Games Store for. So, congratulations, <laughs> Terraforming Mars. Ken is actually playing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh... Like I said, it's a digital implementation, so all the rules are there, all the bookkeeping is there. I mean, uh, one of the trickiest things about board games, and some people find it enjoyable, I, I do, um, is keeping track of of the stats, keeping track of pro- game progress, um, but ha- at the same time, having the computer do that for you yeah. um, is quite yeah. a luxury. Um, not having to, you know, I do miss having something to fiddle about with my hands and, you know, having... Just get a cup of coffee, man. Tactile feel, yeah. But I've been playing, for example, like the last two nights, I have not been playing Apex Legends, which is my usual, like, go-to on a a quiet evening. But I sort of sat in front of my computer uh, doing a game, a game or two um, of of Terraforming Mars. So it's a a fairly... basic well conceptually it's a it's a basic um board game it's an engine builder it's a city builder um multiple players are working sort of against each other you every, each player represents a particular corporation and you are trying to terraform mars like as the name suggests um you're trying to collectively reach the goal of having the planet have sufficient bodies of water and sufficient levels of oxygen and temperature and when that it's it's a collective clock so every action that you take moves that clock along uh at some point uh when the clock fills up there are three separate you know counters that that move that clock when that clock fills up the game ends and whoever has been the most effective most efficient with their actions uh well wins the game so you've got literally you have to terraform tiles. better than everybody else you have to terraform better than everybody else and because your actions contribute towards this clock you naturally as the player want to be the one to seize the initiative you want to be the ones to set the pace at which the planet is being terraformed uh you want to be the one to determine uh when the game ends so if you feel like when it's near the end game, for example, and you're just maybe a couple of ticks away from uh, filling, maxing out those clocks, mm. and you're in a leading position, then you'll be like, no, I want to push this as hard as possible so that we get to the clock and kick off the end game so that I can still be in that lead position. You don't want to lose that initiative and let somebody else sort of dictate the pace at which um, at which those things are happening. So that's one of the key you know, key sort of uh, elements of this particular game. You know, you want to control the pace. Um, you want to make efficient use of your resources because the game doesn't, you know, it's a board game. So a lot of things are abstract. The game's not going to have a mechanic to explain why you can suddenly just create an ocean on Mars. Um, 
but you can. There is a button for it. You click button a button if, as long as you've got the appropriate resources. Either a forest or an ocean will appear. Oh my god, can you planet. imagine the like heavy science rabbit hole if they tried to like rationally explain that? Oh, I mean, there are board games in which they get, they go down like the hard science routes too. Um, um, the name escapes me, but there's like a there's a uh, board game in which you try to simulate um, rocket launch, and you have to get all the science bits correct, like the correct fuel mix and the tra- trajectories and that sort of thing. It's it, it can be quite uh, quite hard. Um, yeah, yeah, it would be. But yeah, that's something else entirely. Uh, but here, you've got your resources. You're trying to manage your resources. You're spending it. You pick up cards that let you do actions. You pick up cards that let you do that let you generate resources and also claim spaces on the board. You want to build cities. You want to build forests. You want to build oceans. Uh, you want to have effects that benefit yourself but also target the opponents, you know, you would slow them down. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's effectively, you know, it's a racing, you know, for, for lack of a better word, better term, it is a racing game. You're trying to get to that end point first before other people, and you're trying to dictate the pace at which that happens. Uh, all in all, it's a really good implementation. I, looks- I've, I've done a few... I've just been clicking through some screens that it actually looks surprisingly clean. Like, I mean, it doesn't look super simple, but it doesn't look like a complete mess, which I was kind of expecting. Like, there are nice big yeah, hexagons. Yeah. And, yeah, nice I'm, big hexagons. Yes. It, it presents that information in a way that, that is easily sort of, you look at it, it's like, okay, I understand what's going on here. Or you get a you get a semblance of what's going on. Um, Dare I say are... it looks like it would be a really good iPad game? Yeah. It would be. It would be a really, really good iPad game. And many good sort of digital implementations of board games tend to be. Um, Asmodee, um, which is the company that owns Terraforming Mars, and the I can't remember who their digital partners are. Um, they've done a really good job at keeping... There's actually a lot of information underneath those interfaces. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of like actions and effects. Like there's a lot of things happening within the game, but they've created the interface in a way that um, the information is doesn't clutter the doesn't clutter the screen, so you can see what you need to see. But when whenever you need that information, you can call it up, and it's it's quite um it's quite uh, uh it presents presents it in a way that, that makes it easy to understand. So yeah, I see like quite a you. few small buttons at the bottom, but it seems quite neatly color coded. Yeah, yeah, and and so you've got you know different resources. Like I said, you've got you can generate steel and metal and you know generate uh plants and greenery and energy and oceans and apparently hmm? and oceans and, apparently and oceans like i said you can create just bodies of oceans just, just plop down an ocean in the middle of, of the red planet uh so though it's good i'm really enjoying it uh i'm glad i i'm glad i picked it up like who wouldn't enjoy a free game of of epic uh Lots of people I have. But, Man, I can recommend some that are played off there, but I've got the reverse problem I had as a kid. 
Yeah, which is like you have lots of uh, just you've got the money, but not the time. Yeah, or also the games are not costing the money anymore sometimes as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As so. in with the epic, yeah, if I was like still fifteen years old, my god. Yeah, so it's good. It's good. Um, really enjoying it. Like, like I said, it's a good, solid implementation. Probably one of the better implementations of of a, of a board game. Um, really good, clean interface. Presents the information in a way that's 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 accessible, but without cluttering. Uh, the game itself is solid. It's based on a mm. on a very very popular, very very well regarded board game. So I had I have got no worries about mechanics of the board game, but I think like so often it's about the implement. It's how it's carried over into the yeah. digital space, and not everything you know works well there. Um, Nick, uh, I know that you're also quite a board game fan. Have you have you been have you tried this or? Um, I haven't played it myself, either on Epic or in person. I did actually see it being played at a board game convention I went to earlier in the year. Um, but, yeah, from what I've seen, it looks pretty interesting. It's definitely been on our uh, wish list of board games, as it was, um, mm. for a while. Um, but there's a lot on our wish list. There's about 100 games now. So yeah, uh, we're just taking it one at a time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've definitely been keen to check it out. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely like. I would even go so far. Like, I I would recommend like this game to people, just generally. Like, I was yeah. lucky that I was lucky that I picked it up free. I think yeah. you know, having having played this now, I would actually like. I would actually pay for this. Like, maybe maybe that's worth considering I mean it terraforming terraforming Mars maybe if you're listening to this you already have it in your epic account if not it's on Steam it does seem there is actually an iOS and Android avail- version available so if you want something to get back on a tablet it sounds like as well this is maybe something to look at very seriously or pick up the physical version and or if you get some mates around you get some mates around yep. and uh, try and destroy another planet like humans do options yay <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're being like deep into the future, but I'm gonna like delve way, way, way into the past now, cause um, I'm playing a game on Steam despite all the free stuff I have that I actually bought. Because it turns out once you put money into something, you're more you're more um, inspired to actually use it. So I've started playing The Forgotten City. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys heard of this at all before. Yeah, yeah I should play the early year. Huh. Yeah, it's locally developed, and it was originally three or four a, guys in um, Melbourne. One for Skyrim. It was, yeah. It was like apparently, like yeah. hugely successful. The thing is, I never really got into yeah. Skyrim, and then apparently, yeah, it actually, I think won some writing awards too. I've, I'm not sure if it was a, as far as a BAFTA, but it was definitely. It some was pretty big. I, I I was reading yeah. about it. You're correct. It, it was it was not a small deal. No. <laughs> um. Definitely. Yeah. So this is a first person I, I, kind of. Phoenix Wright meets Ancient Rome meets detect meets adventure game kind of <laughs> weird amalgamation. Yeah. Basically, um, starts with you like waking up. Somebody's kind of rescued you beside a river, and then you kind of like do your basic like character creation, which may or may not prove consequential. I don't know. I've played about three hours so far. Google is saying it should take about six hours to finish. I don't believe it. I think I'm going to either that or I'm just completely stupid. But I think it's going to take me at least a couple more hours to figure out what's going on here and then you basically kind of like wander into the forest and fall through a portal of sorts and are transported to this isolated city in ancient Rome 
And the, the key conceit of this is one, like, everyone's trapped. Nobody really knows how they got there. Um, you just know that you spoke to some person called Karen, joked about the meme, and then, like, got trapped there. And you seem to be the only person from the future, though. Everybody else is from 2,000-ish years ago. And then is you from the modern age. But the, the key conceit is that, like, this city's been held together by this thing called the Golden Rule. Which is... I think where this game is going to get its, um, well, all of its themes and its kind of, like, moral discussions going in with, which is the idea that if any, or I think they took the inspiration from, I think, Roman legions or something, like, if one person screws up, then everybody suffers, so the many shall dis- shall suffer for the sin of the sin- sin of the few or the sin of the one, and the idea is this belief, and there are golden statues all over the city of people who look like it's kind of like Pompeii if the eruption was liquid gold. Uh, implying that if anybody sins at all, then everybody dies. And the self, I think mostly self-proclaimed head of the state kind of enlists you because he believes that somebody is about to sin. Um to try and find out who that is so that he may stop them. And in the background of this very early on, you know, there's like an election kind of going on. Somebody's kind of challenging his power. And the the challenger seems to have less belief in the golden rule. Although the game very quickly... I think I'm still early enough to like not spoil too much. Very quickly proves that the golden rule is probably real. Um, An interesting thing here is you start... Like, what is actually considered... Like, sin... So, for example, very early on, before the first of the big thing that, like, kind of twists the game around happens, I kind of discovered that, for example, pricing medicine so that people cannot afford it to save somebody's life is apparently not a sin. But stealing it is. But stealing it to save their life is. (laughs) Yeah, it, it definitely plays with some of that concept of who is the actual active person in doing the action. Um, I, I won't go too deep into it because I don't want to spoil it for you either. Um, but it sort of reminds me of the, the infamous trolley problem where it's the person that's doing the action. If you choose to do nothing and ten people die, well, that's not a sin. But in, in terms of the golden rule, if you choose to kill one person to save those ten, that does count as a sin. So it's very much about who's whose action is actually causing the impact, um, not necessarily who has the power to stop it. And at least early on, like, also the implication of, like, how is this, like, viewed by society and what person views this versus what ver- person views the others? Because you just speak into the, um, again, the magistrate or whatever in charge, and he cannot possibly see why you think that slavery is a bad thing, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the meat, the meat, the meat and potatoes of the gameplay, at least so far, is actually it is very much about going around querying people. But what I do like is that it really is letting you figure stuff out for yourself. Um, and mild spoiler, maybe like fast forward a few seconds here if you if this sounds at all interesting to you and you want to go in completely blank. But this basically very quickly turns into a time loop game. So, Magistrate was right, somebody is going to sin, and then you kind of, like, have to, like, haul ass back to the entrance. <laughs> Where you kind of get thrust into everything all over again. And so, 
And from the first reset, at least, you're kind of basically given a flying fox, kind of like a gliding device, so you can get around a bit more quickly. And since then, I've, through actions more of my own, I've, like, also found another way to, like, maneuver around a lot more. And, of course, the key thing is you're kind of starting over with the knowledge of the conversations you've had before. So I think it's going to kind of become more and more snappy of you kind of trying to figure out who's doing what and who's responsible for what I have definitely said a... Th- Actually, no, I'm not even going to say that. I've done some stuff that has resulted in some stuff happening, and that in itself is throwing all this up into question. But it seems like a really fascinating game, and, like, just looking around it online, it seems very well regarded. It seems like, I guess, um, the closest comparison, weirdly, may actually be The Outer Wilds. It's just that one takes place in space, and this one takes place in, um, ancient Rome. Yeah, yeah, assume yeah. it's there's a lot of there's a lot of Greek stuff left over in there as well. But yes. yeah, I just I just remember this game being like it came out and um it, it was just very well received. Like I know there was some type of time element to it, there's some type of mystery element to it. Uh it's story heavy. Um but I just I didn't get round to get round to trying it myself. This particular game. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing mix of like somehow adventure game meets interactive novel meets first-person adventure meets roguelike meets Metroid, and it all just just kind of um, works. And I, yeah, plus side, I mean, my computer's like ten years old now. This thing. I think if you bought a computer with any eye towards gaming in, like, the last half decade, you're going to be able to run this just fine. The only issue I've had running this at all, with stuff turned... Most of the stuff just turned out max. I think I've only got a couple of things down set to, you know, just very high instead of extreme, is, like, hitches every now and then, and that's because I'm running it on a 10-year-old mechanical hard drive. But, yeah, it runs beautifully. It looks... It looks... How do I say this? It looks like what I thought the future of games would look like when the first 3D cards came out. It's not going to definitely blow away the um, Night City um, cyberpunks of the world. But, you know, it's got a good level of texture detail. Quite clean enough lighting. It looks like it's a good looking for the genre it is. And if that's sort of a interest for people, it is on Game Pass as well. And apparently it's on Game Pass, although, yeah, I paid for mine but yeah it'll, it'll run on your pc almost certainly if it, your pc is still working <laughs> so long as it's not like a surface laptop or something then yeah i don't think you're gonna have any trouble getting this thing to run at all um so yeah um the forgotten city i like it i like it a lot so far i th- i think it's gonna like get deeper and deeper and deeper into me. I'm curious to see like if you can finish this wrong. I expect you probably can. I am fully expecting this to be a multiple ending type scenario, but it's kind of aside from the fact that I can't hold the coffee and play at the same time because it's keyboard and mouse. It is scratching a little bit of that kind of classic adventure itch, and that is of course why I've kind of pressured pressured poor Nick to be honest on the show with us today because you 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 were the lucky one who got to review Monkey Island for us. I was. I was very lucky. Um, it's actually funny because, as people may know, uh, Terrible Toy Box is the developer for Returns Monkey Island. And I was also fortunate enough to um, review their previous game, which was Thimbleweed Park as well. Not not for P2, that was before that. Um, but 
yeah, somehow had a good run with them. <laughs> um, and no, notwithstanding that, like I grew up with Monkey Island um, way back, like had it on our very first PC back when it was all in um, CGI running off discs. Sorry, it's not CGI, CGA. CD, so Monkey back. Island, enter. Monkey Island, XE, <laughs> enter, let's start. Oh, I, oh. I don't know, if we go back that far, we had no C drive. You didn't have we a C drive? Whoa, straight... okay. Yeah, yeah. We were going straight off floppies. Oof. But anyway, I um, hear I hear that the birds are saying that this new Monkey Island game is apparently like a really, really, really good one of those. It it, it is a Monkey Island game one hundred percent, yeah. So I have to like um, ask a little bit um, what exactly that is to you because I have hence well the topic that we're going into after the break is I grew up playing a lot of adventure games but I did not actually grow up with Monkey Island and my so for me the ki- Monkey Island to me is actually the curse of Monkey Island. Oh yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Um, I mean, Curse of Monkey Island was good too. Um, obviously, Murray, I remember playing that particular demo is such a good back and forth. Because they had, I think it was on one of some of the PC magazines back when I, they existed and were would actually have a demo on them. Um, there was a short demo of just the intro scene where you have meet Murray and knock him into the ocean. Uh, see Wally, yeah, when you meet Wally again and all blood knows the pirate as as he likes to be called. Um, and I just played that through that first sort of starting sequence, so I I went through that over and over again too, but. Yeah, to go back to Monkey Island, like, um, I actually did originally start with the second game way back. Um, I have fond memories of just playing through that and did did eventually get the sequel Monkey Island as well. Um, but for me, it's, I mean, the, the setting where it's that mix of piracy and lunacy, because it's, it's a very humorous and very abstract game in some ways. Or in fact, they all like the whole setting is, um, like the fact that mm. root beer is what you do to tackle a ghost, and um, that you use a monkey as a monkey wrench to fix a water pump, and all these sorts of things. Like these, these are the older games. Um, that you've got the iconic music where you just get chills whenever you hear it. Um, I'd funny, I'd say the music itself is very chill. Like you just kind of like imagine some coconut rum in your hand. Funny um, coincidence, though, while I was writing the review, um, I just happened to flip on one of my old writing playlists, and as I'm going through, it just goes to a metal version of Monkey the Monkey Island theme. So I was like, oh, this is like Kismet, almost. Um, hmm. th- there's that, you've got, um, like, uh, Dominica Mato, who does the voice of Guybrush. She's perfect. Like, you just hear his voice and it's like you're instantly back in there it's it's that sort of mix of whimsy and he curiosity is perfect for Guybrush and it always makes me smile like, to think he really wanted that role yeah it's amazing um that's like movie and just, like what so yeah. comparing the old to the new like because almost every adventure game I grew up with even Broken Sword had moments of like I'm just stuck now I'm gonna, and because I'm a ten-year-old yeah. kid, I can like waste away an entire Sunday afternoon on this one puzzle that's going to yeah. take four hours. But is... I mean, have you played um, Thimbleweed Park? 
I actually have not. Like, it's been on yeah, the um, should-do list for five years now, probably. Yeah. So, one of the things both of them have done is they have this sort of in-dot hint system with it. So, usually, it's more of a reminder, hey, go try that thing you tried before that didn't work on the other puzzle. Maybe it'll work now. So, it's a, a lot of that sort of... Um, not really just giving away what you should be doing, but just like, okay, this is what you're looking at. Like, there's a door here, and maybe you look at the keyhole, or that sort of thing, where it's it's just really... It's enough to sort of prompt you to at least explore a little bit more or get a little step closer. Um, I, I don't think there really is probably abstract or difficult some of those, some of the really infamous ones out there like the, it's not to the levels of like Gabriel Knight with the ID card if you know that story oh yeah I I, oh, I know that actually it, very very it, very well yeah. I'll tell you off off off, off <laughs> why I know that so well um yeah but the, I mean LucasArts tended to have puzzles that made sense and you'd never really had a sort of way of um, no progress where a lot of other adventure games would definitely have that. Like, you say that, but if I you remember... go back, and I know Ken and I promise not to do this, but Grim Fandango, when I did go back and play the HD remaster, I was like, wow, this game's actually a bit more of a bitch than I remember. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's where I'm it's getting awesome. at with this new Monkey yeah. Island. Like, was it actually like just a kind of a smooth playthrough? It was pretty smooth, yeah. Like... Um, it's definitely not, say, as challenging as, say, Maniac Mansion or Zack McCracken, so, like, the really old-school LucasArts ones. Um, more in the vein of, like, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, Sam and Max, uh... Well, I forget. What was that? Full Throttle. Name of... Yeah, Full Throttle, that's what I was thinking of. Um, definitely, I mean... Probably the hardest one I can think of the of at least LucasArts variety would be the dig, but that was also like the most cinematic and all that too. So, but yeah, it's it's definitely um, a breezier time um, than some of the past ones had been. Um, and I think that's sort of sort of respect for what makes sense and um, just people's time as well, really. Yeah, because I, I what was I interviewed Tim Schafer like years ago and it was like he kind of had this remorseful maybe it, maybe it was about the um, Broken Age thing he had this kind of remorseful way of thinking about the way we used to make he described the um, adventure game puzzle design as like what's the sensible way to do this and now how far away from this can we get removed <laughs> yeah yeah how can we drive calls to the hit line so yeah it's pretty smooth how anymore, yeah so, like, how, like, does um, Humanist land, and also, like, just how... I want to say how the vibe lands, because it seems that Monkey Island holds up really well in, like, just, like, its humor is kind of, like, good-natured, and, like, a lot of stuff in that yeah. area, you're probably going to, like, ooh, that's a bit more sexist or racist or whatever than I realized at the time. It seems yeah, that Monkey mean- Island, from just what I've been reading a lot recently, is a lot better than a lot of, the, a lot of its peers were. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's it's a good time. It's It does treat, like, pretty serious area area of history, like piracy and murdering and all that sort of thing, pretty lightly, considering. Like, you go hang out with 
like notorious yeah. killers and stuff and hey i want to be just like you um but in a very like kid friendly yeah. way i mean like when a lot of people that are playing this now would have played the originals they were kids just like yeah. i was a kid myself i was in the prime of my teenage years and um it's, yeah it was suited for that um the most you would get was someone rough you up a little bit when you try to cross a bridge and take all your money and but as far as the humor goes like there was never really that sort of um vibe where you would have in old movies from even the same years like if you go watch a movie from the 90s now like a lot of it's not gonna hold up yeah a lot of it doesn't so and i'm guessing the new one like just walks straight back into the humor yeah what i've heard is actually a very fun game yeah. Is Murray is. as good as he was in three? Because he has reappeared in the games. Uh, it's like well, Escape from Monkey Island, which is Monkey Island four, was pretty so so. I thought the Telltale ones that they did were yeah. pretty good, but Murray kind of was just this awesome thing that happened in this one game, and they've never been able to get him right again. It's he's pretty good, and he like he has has these moments, but I, he's not really a huge focus, but he's enough of a focus that he's still sort of with you for a while well it's not a focus I think so much as like they just couldn't get him right again oh I, I feel like it, it feels like Murray alright that's cool that yeah, I'm very definitely. happy to hear and so I'm guessing by all accounts I mean I, I went through the review this is this is an A plus do you think this is this is you're re- obviously reviewing it from the perspective of a fan um, do you yeah, think this would hold up for both like people in say their 30s who just didn't grow up with this, but also, like, you know, for people who are, like, you know, 12-year-old kids now, whatever, who are maybe used to playing Fortnite instead? Uh, it's hard to speak for that middle ground, but I I know a few parts I was playing it, and my son, who is six, came up to watch, and he was laughing at some of the jokes in it and all that, and I had no issues with him watching it, because I know it's like a family friendly sort of thing and it's Mm. the same experience I had with my dad growing up where we'd he'd sort of sit beside me watch me play it and then give ideas on how to solve a puzzle in Monkey Island 2 and we had lots of adventure games that were like that too like it's that was sort of how it was back then and in some ways Mm. that's also what that hint system reminds me I think I wrote that in the review but it's that reminder where someone goes, oh, what if you try that thing? Not so much, hey, this is the answer. It's what Which made is much more organic, yeah. And adventure games were like weirdly good multiplayer games. Yeah. Because like, obviously there's only one person holding the mouse or whatever at any given time, but like you're kind of talking stuff through together and like trying to figure it out. Yeah. And these games would exist in my brain. It's probably why I wasn't paying attention at school a lot of the time. It's yeah. like, because my brain would go to the stuff I'm trying to solve. Yeah, I remember in year nine, there was me and some friends were actually contemplating writing a play based on Monkey Island. Oh wow, that would have been so, so, adorable. I mean, we never did it. Was we were dreamers, just like Guybrush, but we never did anything. So, but yeah. One last thing, I guess I want to know before I, I could probably check this on the site, but it's worth having on the podcast regardless. Um, so, were you playing this on PC or Switch or? I was playing on PC. Alright, so we can't really get any comment on, like, how well this would actually translate to a console experience. 
I can't, yeah, I can't really comment on that, but I have seen some positive feedback on that too. So I've seen some people saying they're playing on Switch and it works for them, um, but I can't myself say for sure. I guess the, like, the controller would work as a pointer fairly well. It's like, it's one of those, like, really, like, it could be a great living room game if the interface works just right, or it could, like, fall flat in its face, but it's just something people are saying yeah. positive about it. Maybe that's one to consider. Um, yeah. The, the other good benefit that um, these ones, like the newer adventure games have, is they usually have a button that will show you things you can interact with. Instead of yeah. hunting for that one pixel like you used to have to do, where it's like, oh, this light is slightly discolored, just to find what you could actually interact with, versus um, like the older, older <laughs> adventure games, which are all text based. Um, yeah, it was that one thing that I'm glad has been sort of left to history. Oh, yeah, like that. We will we, we'll actually get, back, get to that in the topic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for now, yeah. I, yeah, return to Monkey Island. By all accounts, very, very good. I'm so happy to see that even on Steam it's very positive because that's, like, where all the bitchy fans would come out if, like, one thing yeah. wasn't quite right. Like, it just seems this is universally loved. I'm, like, just super happy to see it. Yeah. Like, I know I definitely saw some of the feedback early on where people weren't sure on the art style, but honestly, I, it I works. Was there was with no... the art style day one, personally. Yeah. There was no time where I thought, oh, who's this character meant to be? Um, it was just everyone was everyone that they were meant to be um, Melee Islands uh, which is in the trailer so hopefully not a spoiler um, looked exactly how it was meant to it just felt right it looks and like something that they may have done yeah. in the 90s if they were able to do it in the 90s yeah like it was just sort of a slight evolution of what the um, I guess the upgraded version where the special edition had um, so when they did the special edition of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2, very, like, same sort of vibe, but this is more of an artistic take on it. Where this looks a lot more coherent and a lot more intentional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it looks great, and I think people are coming around on it. Um, and yeah, on that note, I, I, I guess I'll actually see if I can find some Monkey Island remixes. We've had mention of a metal one already. Um, yeah, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, more adventure games. We're back. We're back from talking trash about those trashy boxes that PC games came in, but I also guess that's kind of relevant because I think these are the boxes that are going to have um, carried most of these games that we're going to be talking about because our focus is like on classic adventure games, and I it, it feels weird like we're at the point where I almost have to explain what that is, but it's basically a game where you're a person or maybe an animal, and you carry a bunch of stuff around, and you use it on things to solve puzzles without much in the way of 
action happening and I, I'm just going to assume this game genre got its name because you know there was a point where PCs couldn't even have scrolling backgrounds and this was just the way you could have a game where you went on an adventure and it was text on a screen and then eventually there were graphics and you, but you were still typing and then eventually there was a mouse interface where you would kind of click on the thing you wanted to pick up and then you'd use that on the person who needed to be bribed with the mouse for, because for some reason they needed a mouse. I don't know, I'm mean, trying to invent a dumb puzzle and it's not really working very well yeah, at all. It's, um, it's actually because the very first game of the type, which was all text-based, was actually called Advent, uh, which was designed by uh, William Crowther back in the 70s. So it was very much like the old Zork style where you go into a room and you see a description of what where you are and then you can interact with the things or go to a different room be like also like the old months and all that sort of thing um, but that's where it kind of got same way that we use roguelikes now to mean things sort of like rogue tangible yeah not that anyone even knows what that means anymore but I guess no one really knows what adventure game means anymore <laughs> either I mean I, I still think that it was called adventure because you were going on an adventure and but yeah, it it it's weird because like movie genres generally depict how the movie will be. An action movie will have lots of action yeah. movie, a romance movie will be a love story, a drama will have a lot of character drama and probably a courtroom or something. But yeah, adventure games are described by the mechanics and for some reason adventure is about yeah. using items and talking to people and solving puzzles like finding a way there's a locked door and but the answer will never be just find the key to the locked door it'll always be some sort of weird contrivance I just sort of assumed that I mean the genre was was named kind of like in pen in in sort of around the same time as choose your own adventure books um I I always saw some type of Mm. like uh some type of linkage between there um because again, it's you're going on an adventure, but also you're you're having to sort of unveil, unlock the next little bit because you can't progress until you get to the next bit. Like you have to do this sequence and then on to the next sequence, and it always felt like a a, a bit of a choose your own adventure game. But like coming back to to circling back to the topic and the theme and also what we talked about during um the break in which is talking about like PC game boxes. I actually I'm actually keen to hear from Nick. Like you touched on it very briefly, but the box for Space Quest? Um Space Quest too, yeah. It, Four Holes Revenge. That's right. Uh, that was one of my first in fact it was my first PC game. Um going back to a long time ago um, and it actually had as well as the manual had like a little comic which gave you the backstory of what happened in Space Quest 1 and a sort of introduction to what was going to happen in 2 that sort of sits in between like you have this weird really out there humour it's very like I'd say um, Space Quest if you're not familiar with it is kind of like the sci-fi equivalent of what Monkey Island is to Pyrus. Yeah, it's comedy sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's probably a bit uh, more... Like, it does a lot more, like, pop culture referencing, at least referencing what was important at the time. So you'd have gone be interviewed by, like, David Letterdroid, which was a reference to David Letterman, Mm. and 
all that sort of thing. So I understood uh, none of this when I was playing them as a kid. It's probably worth noting. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same, same here. Like we, I don't even know if we had Letterman back then. Like, maybe late, late, but well after bedtime for me. Um, but yeah, it was very, like, very different. And as an intro to um, adventure games, it was also one of those really old school ones that use the uh, adventure game engine or adventure game interpreter engine uh, which was by Sierra um, and it's basically you had to type everything you were doing mm-hmm. it was not point and click and unlike some of the later games um, that Sierra did the game would not pause while you were typing so yeah. you actually learned to be that's pretty much how I learned to type in, to begin with um, but you basically had to type as quick as you can and just hope you didn't spell it wrong or you had the right thing while something was charging at you oh my god like the the yeah like just hoping that you chose the right word and that that your spelling was okay um this is actually kind of fascinating to me i'm I'm just gonna assume that like nick's like just a few years older than i am because i literally think i learned to type through space quest 3 um although i think that one did at least pause action while it did it did yeah yeah because my first Um, adventure game was actually just um, after we got our first 486 for Christmas 1993, Dad came home with, in the most stereotypical Dad way of the early 90s, it was either a Tandy or a Dick Smith bag. <laughs> um, with what, I think there were two boxes of a collection of games by a company called Dynamics, which was apparently a subsidiary of Sierra, yeah. and a Space Quest 1 through 3 collection, which I think he got in the bargain bin for like $10 or something. <laughs> Um, and it was the remake of Space Quest 1 and then 2 and 3 and oh my god Nick I'm almost your bad for you because Space Quest 2 that game is such a bitch and if anybody wants for some reason wants to go back and like experience Nick's childhood just know when you crash land on that forest planet you can go to the right this is really important this is what's this is why (laughs) this this what I'm telling you right now is why LucasArts games in this genre have aged better than Sierra's Sierra's you can go to the right because if you do that, there is a little fleshy ET-like dude there who's being like kind of caught in like a bear trap, not a bear trap, more like a string kind of thing who you can rescue. And if you do not do this, you cannot finish the game. Yeah, you will meet but- his family or tribe <laughs> later on, and they will stone you to death. No matter what, unless you did this at this chance while you have it. Not just that, if you did free him, he would occasionally show up to give you hints on what else to do else, elsewise. I don't, I don't, I don't think I was around long he enough, because I spent yeah. weeks being stuck at being stoned yeah. to death, before I eventually you, learned yeah. that I had to go back. <laughs> There's a part where you have to cross through a swamp, and before you do so, you need to rub yourself in berries. Now, the only way you would know that is if you had seen that little guy do, it first. do the same thing. Or if yeah. your dad had a walkthrough that he would occasionally read oh, to you, if you, begged, yeah. if you begged and begged and begged, but he wasn't following what you were doing, so by the time you were stoned to death, all he kept on telling you is, like, it just says you have to put the gemstone in your mouth. I'm like, we've been part... What, that doesn't make any sense in this situation, and it doesn't work. The game that you says, why would you do that? That's not where it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, what was the game from Dynamics? Um... Heart of China was the oh, adventure yeah. game in that. I never actually got to play that one. That's um, a game that taught me what a hooker was and what alcohol was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I think it was a bit later. They Dynamics also had Rise of the Dragon, which was 
Um, also pretty mature in it seems. Uh, a lot more to do with like drugs that you like get mutated by and yeah, I'd say Uncharted is probably not actually future, yeah. probably not actually that mature. It was kind of like an Indiana Jonesy rom com in many ways. Yeah, but yeah. it was also like um, I better say it's really badly. Like it's set in China, but you have to like meet up with a ninja. And while the manual explains it, he was raised in Japan. Like there is a lot of like Asia is just Asia going on in that game. I expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's fascinating in the sense that like it actually did have plot branches and things could go different ways. And like the ach- like it had multiple different endings with one that was like a very clearly right good ending, but like there's a whole like literally like a little love heart in the bottom of the um screen every time you flew to a new location, like the status of the relationship or like yeah. the key romantic relationship, and that was like super innovative for a game that came out in like nineteen ninety one, ninety two. Yeah. Um and the like multiple different ways to solve a puzzle. Which, to be fair, actually was kind of a Sierra thing. Like, I know in Space Quest 3, I can think of at least one puzzle that had two different solutions. Yeah, they would also... That was back when Adventure Games actually bothered with points. So yeah, that was so weird that they did that. It, yeah, it was a weird sort of carryover from other games at the time, but it was this weird idea that one solution was better than the other because it was more complex. Um, I actually liked the way that... Um, Fate of Atlantis did it though, where they actually had three different branching uh, narratives depending on what path you chose. So you had the uh, team, you had the wits, and you had the fists. So one was more complex in terms of puzzles. One you had your um, indie or Indiana Jones interacting with Sophia, who was the sort of sidekick of the game, and then you had the uh, brawn or fists one which was more combat driven which was mm. a really weird combat system did anyway it, yeah but... so it was also this era where I don't think LucasArts did it but Sierra and Dynamics oh well, that was LucasArts yeah it was and they would have like quote unquote arcade segments yeah yeah they had a few so Space uh, Quest not, 1 not you kind of rode this speeder you could skip them I think a lot of the time yeah you could in the remake. You could skip the skipper thing on the remake, but not um, in the original. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah, you could turn the speed all the way down, but that didn't always give you enough time to react. That's a weird um, quirk of that genre, actually. So going back to Heart of China, which is a game I actually played a lot of and had like, this weird nostalgia for. I even in the original Pixel Hunt magazine was writing a. Um, rewriting the game as a story and trying to make it a bit more sensible and like give it an ending that I actually wanted um, but there's a point where you have to basically and maybe there's another solution and I never found it because I was you know a kid um, where you basically have to win the um, the three cups game and it's like where is the pearl under the three, three shells and I was able to game that because of that their turbo button that PCs used to have <laughs> yeah um, that, this may actually need clarifying this is going to make us feel old um, basically, it was kind of like a built-in overclock almost, except I think it was supposed to be on all the time. But because game, like, probably not just games, but software in general, just, you know, it would freak out if, like, something was too fast for it. You could literally kind of, like, decrease the megahertz of your PC by pressing this button. So else would go from 33 to 25, and if I, like, decreased it, like, it would actually slow it down enough that I could see what was happening. I mean, even the facts, like, you've got to get, like, a game like that with that sort of sequence, but I know the Sierra ones had the same sort of thing, so Police Guest 1, you had to win a poker match. Hmm. Uh, Space Quest 1, you had to win some money on the slot, slot machine. machine, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. I didn't you rig that with a magnet from memory? You. you I think you just could just get caught or... and shot. If you yeah, careful, I think I save scummed a lot. Like I know it was the widget um, that you get from the crash ship, but I just can't recall if it was in the original take on the game either. Because <laughs> I I played through both versions, the original EGA version and then the remake that they did, which was point and click and a lot easier. <laughs> and I think I've told this story on here before. Maybe Ken remembers it didn't when we first installed it didn't grok with our whatever our graphics settings were on our computer properly. Um, and like it came yeah. out in these hyper surreal colors, and like like the skin on everything was like pitch black and like fluorescent yellow yeah. hair, and it looked super eerie. And I, I'm sure I've told this story in this before. And like, and I didn't. This was the first adventure game I'd ever played. I didn't understand how the mechanics work. And what 1993? God, how I was probably still single digits. Um, and then like there was a tiny bit of voice acting, including this kind of creepy voice saying, "This dress sequence is in, is engaged." 15 minutes till detonation. And this game made me panic. Because the captain's saying, like, you hear footsteps. Like, you're actually being hunted, and you have to hide. And you've got a time limit to, like, get off this ship before it explodes. This is supposed to be a comedy game. I know. Yeah, that was... And you're searching dead bodies as well, actually, like, to get key cards and shit, like... And just like in Space Quest 2, there are so many serial games where if you didn't pick up the right object at the right time, later you'd be screwed because you wouldn't have it with you. Hence the right screen screaming. Yeah, and I think that's aged very poorly for them. Yeah. Um, It's just not good design. Like, there were a handful of ways to die still or at least get trapped in LucasArts games, but it was really difficult. Like, um, Zach McCracken, I think, and the Alien Mindbenders, which is more of one of their obscure ones um that you could only really lose by running out of money but there was a way to win the lottery with a guaranteed number sequence that you could get later on that kind of solved that um i think in monkey island games if you purposely wait the 10 minutes that guybrush can hold his breath for you can make him die i think all right that that's i'm not 100 sure that's, but that's, that's just cute and funny yeah. though that's kind yeah, of yeah exactly I, I mean there there is that classic that they did in the first monkey island game where on monkey island itself guybrush walks off the edge of a cliff uh falls to his what seems to be his death comes up with the old sarah style prompt saying oh you've just died with some sort of weird pun in it and then suddenly Guybrush comes back and says rubber tree <laughs> I remember rubber trees I think they hung around in the um, third or fourth game maybe yeah. Yeah, I mean definite adventure games like it would probably be a lot easier for them to get away with it now with a lot of auto saving and like just kind of bringing you back straight away yeah. but like you really learn to like hit that, that 5F7 which would be a save and restore uh, my favorite um, in a game that was otherwise mean. And these Space Quest games were super mean about this, but you didn't even mention Space <laughs> Quest 2. Like, you have to walk intricately around this friggin' snake-like tendrils everywhere so perfectly. Yeah. Um, but there's a point in Space Quest 1 where you're, like, dodging acid that's, like, falling from the ceiling. But you can actually yeah, click yeah. the hand icon to, and just dip your arm in a vat of it, and then you just immediately melt. <laughs> and in the remake, the um, creators have these these personas 
They just kind of like pig snouted people with sunglasses. They kind of come up yeah, on the screen right. and they rewind it and then they play it back again with a play by play commentary on how stupid you're being. Yeah, that's the two guys from Andromeda. Yeah. They, they still have my yeah. money from their, their spiritual sequel, which I don't think is ever coming out. Oh, yeah, Space Venture, was it? Yep. They, yeah. they post like one or two updates in the Kickstarter year and I'm just like, yeah. If this happens, yay, but I am not optimistic. Yeah. And I have not been optimistic for a decade now, so that's where that's at. Yeah. Actually, my favourite of the series was the Quest for Glory series, which I know they did, um, the creators of that did make a game eventually. Which I do have, but I've never actually opened it either. Uh, Hero You, um, Broke to Redemption, but the original was probably one of the first where... It sounds it, super innovative, so yeah, go on. Oh, it, yeah, the original games actually carried on your actual character um, between games, and one of the things that Quest for Glory did, or as it was originally known, Hero Quest, um, I did you actually that. had skills like in an RPG. Yeah, there was this whole thing where... Um, it was released as Heroes Quest with the apostrophe S, um, and then I think the board game owners of the trademark sued them, so they had to change it to Quest for Glory. Which is a better name, probably. Uh. It is, um, but I had originally played on a copy of the original, original, and yeah. Um, but one, yeah, one of the things it's combined some RPG elements in that your character has skills and you can choose whether you're a wizard or sorry, a magic user, a fighter, or a thief. And then mm-hmm. through the games as you play them, your character can actually be transferred to the subsequent games, which has a record of what you did. You start with the same skills that you had, so you can take your character and go from whatever you happen to be to like a full-fledged wizard or a paladin with a flaming sword and carry them all through all five games. Like, it was That's... probably the first... Well, up until Mass Effect, it was the first... Like, my only sort of game which was ever like that, where you could actually uh, have your Ken choices... Ken knows this is coming, but... Um, forever, yeah. Shenmue 1 and 2 carried your um, save file. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, did they? Yep. What year was that? Uh, 99... For the Japanese yeah, release, Quest for Glory predates it. <laughs> yeah, Quest for Glory does predate that, obviously. Yeah, no, I just, I'm just like, there are certain games in which it's like time to, time to whatever game is however many minutes. It's like time <laughs> to Shenmue, time, Shenmue, Nights, Nights into Dreams. Uh, Shenmue is quasi an adventure game, though. I don't think oh, I'm yeah, going no, to find no, a way no, to talk uh, about Nights here. Yeah. No, no, I know. But it's just this is one of those running gags in this in this series of podcasts. It's just like <laughs> time to Shenmue for Tim. Yeah, time to Shenmue is uh, whatever. But um, I just wanted to jump in and my first adventure game. I don't remember the name of, and I have no idea what it is. It's. <sighs> It was a game for a 486. I remember that much because that's my, my older sister's yeah. first computer. It was an edutainment game. Yay! It was meant to be like... Yeah. It's one of those ones where I, I think adventure games, because they do... You know, there are the punishing ones and then there's the ridiculously crazy over-the-top ones like Phantasmagoria. Yeesh. Um, All right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. that was just... 
Yeah, I remember that because it was banned in Singapore, and we had to go to like a friend's house. Was it banned in Australia? But I can't remember. It might have. Been I can't. Actually. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. But it was banned in Singapore, and we had to go to somebody's house to to like. Oh, they've they've managed to find a copy, and everybody's like, all these early teen kids huddled around one person's computer to just try to see all the gory um, FMV scenes. And like looking back at them now, they look so terrible. They're like so badly done. Mm-hmm. Um, but adventure games do also sit very well on the family-friendly spectrum of things. A lot of them, yeah, and especially think, the Lucasfilm yeah. stuff. And you know the whole edutainment then sort of like bleeds into that because I remember this was like something to do with the Amazon, and it was a bunch of kids who had to, I guess. Um, fi- find their way out of it or it sounds like one of the eco games I forget what they're called exactly but that was CR2 I think it was around the same era as Willy Beamish oh man see that might have been, <laughs> I might bought Willy Beamish with my own money yeah <laughs> but it was just I just remember like it was one of those extremely frustrating games like I remember playing this like 10 years old, 11 years old maybe, just being really frustrated because it's like, oh, you pick up this berry and this berry does something and you have to make it into this other concoction and then one thing goes to another, goes to another uh, and okay, you you've now that lost secret of the that'd, rainforest that'd be my first guess, yeah don't know for sure but definitely sounds like it it might be it might be. I need to go at Eco Quest Lost Secret of the Rave. I need to go look at somebody else. Go talk right now, so think, that I can right. go look at Scratch. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna like kind of rant about how stupid it is that they decided they had to force edut- edutainment onto adventure games, which, as a genre, probably taught me more than any edutainment game does anyway. Because they like, really, you yeah. had to think like a lot in these things creatively as well. And again, you go back to the early ones. Friggin' learn to type. My dad bought this boring ass literally game not game type quick software it's literally just a black screen and flashing letters to try and get my brother and I to learn to type and then just me playing in Space yeah. Quest 3 I can type I, I mean I'm it, yeah. not going to be a government secretary but I can type as fast as anybody who's not a specialist sensibly can as a result of yeah. it yeah. wow Nick you're it is you, you spot on <laughs> this, this is what it is yeah I have Lost vague memories of seeing this in a magazine, maybe. Oh my it god. It looks really bad. <laughs> it's it was just yeah. the most obtuse hard to penetrate game. Uh it was not a good time. I mean and adventure like, games can uh, that is a problem with the genre in general, is you could get that one obtuse puzzle, especially pre internet. But it's gonna be even worse if they're like trying to force something that they think they need to teach you into it. It's gonna be even more hackneyed and just kind yeah. of obnoxious and insulting almost like it's going to be speaking down to yeah me. yeah and Sierra did tend to have the over the top characterization or caricature really with a lot of the characters like I'm pretty sure that some of the games from that Quest for Glory series where it's in the second game you go to uh, like a fake um Middle East, you go in the third one, you go to like a fake Africa, like a fantasy Africa. But I, I haven't really touched those games for a long time. And I, yeah, I bet they weren't researched at all, and they would probably (laughs) 
get some people on some funny lists nowadays, so... Um, I mean, I still have fond memories of a lot of them. Um, particularly, I think, the fourth one, where it's kind, you kind of have the same... One of the older villains show up, and there's this other sort of, like, gothic um, Transylvanian-type edge to it, but it's all... Yeah, it's more the memory of it now, I think, that yeah. sort of holds up, rather than I don't expect it would actually hold up if I tried to play it again. But I don't have that sort of fear with the LucasArts ones, like especially Monkey Island. Um, that said, I, one of the things that debugged me about Thimbleweed Park, which was, I guess, a terrible Tobox's previous game, um, it really went hard on the old grudge between LucasArts and Sierra. Oh wow! Like there's, oh, really? there's so many, yeah. Like there's so many parts where I'm like, oh, guys, like you don't need you want. to. Everyone, everyone looks back and goes, "You were the good, you were the good guy. Sarah was the evil overlord. You had the best games, and now you don't need to throw shots at them now." Like it was just, it just felt yeah. really off-putting. It's weird, but I mean, again, from some of the stuff we've been saying, though, it does like it does seem part of the reason why LucasArts stuff and it overall has aged way better is that Sierra was trying some weird, crazy shit some of the time, and as a result of that. But then, so then weird things, like, when they first had voice acting in both games, like, the voice acting in, like, Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max Hit the Road is still good. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Sierra's, like, we just, like, found whoever was in the (laughs) building and had them read these lines. Actually, funny story, um, one, wasn't her very first role, but, um, her second Jennifer Hale's second voice acting role was in Quest for Glory 4 oh wow and a few years ago I went to I think EBX back in Sydney and was able to actually get her to sign my copy of the manual and oh, she wow. was like very surprised that anyone had it let alone oh that would make me happy if I was it. like yeah. an actor and like this person had some like a legitimate deep cut <laughs> yeah like it was, even just the circumstances like we were about to line up to do a signing and then we were told oh no like no one's doing it like she's not there anymore and I, I look over to the desk I'm like that's her right there like I rec- just recognised her so went up and yeah we were, like they set up the line after us but it was just one of those really cool moments that's like yeah she pretty neat I don't have a story to bounce that with um <laughs> No, that's just really cool. This is an isolated incident. Man, I... This is what <laughs> that's what happens when you get the old people on here. I mean, to be fair though, it wasn't just um, LucasArts and Sierra. And I, this is where we get to the point where like adventure games kind of. I feel like we got to the point where they yeah, simultaneously they'll... kind of peaked to as they were made could be as good as they were, just as like 3D was able to provide. Well, you know, Tomb Raider in its own way was an adventure. So, like, this yeah. kind of, like, passing of the baton, which is really sad for me, because this was what PC gaming was to me. But um, I still kind of feel like the 90s, like, they kind of peaked, weirdly, not with one of those at all, but with, like, the original Broken Sword. Yeah, yeah. Which was a game I initially overlooked, because I just didn't seem to care about the, like, a European setting or, like, that specific type of comic writing. And then one day... I think it was just, like, bored on a Sunday morning and, like, dug through these old demo discs to whatever PC mag my dad was, um, subscribed to and played the demo and was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I still remember some of the other 
like sort of adventure games around, like you had Les Manley in Search of the King, Simon the Sorcerer, Legends oh, of Corinthia kind of, um, but like they were all usually just one-offs here and there. Hmm. Simon like, the Sorcerer and Discworld being around at the same time was just one of those very weird. Yeah, that was odd. <laughs> things that happens. I I never played. I played the full. Um, game of both the first and the second I mean I think it was another one that came later that I didn't get but um Discord 1 and 2 I played through both and I definitely needed a walkthrough to finish the first one the second one I feel like holds up pretty well um along with Sam I think part of the reason I actually look so fondly about Sam Max at the Road was that for my brain started to really gel with the way the puzzles were working yeah. I still remember this like one night where I just solved a whole bunch of stuff at once <laughs> it was like I just kind of finally got it properly <laughs> It's a bit like if you do an escape room. Once you've done, seen the solution, you're like, oh, now I know how escape room logic works. So I can go next and I'll solve the next one, no problem. I, 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 I think I just had that works. that moment where I went from just clicking everything <laughs> on everything, yeah. which is what happens a lot in these games if you kind of lose track of what you're doing. And I stopped and I thought about everything. I was like, oh, this is how you play these games. Yeah, it's... <laughs> And it's super satisfying if you actually do get in the right headspace for it. Like, still. Um, to say, I, um... <laughs> yeah, like, you actually feel like you've solved something. Hmm. Like, Part- significant. At least in the moment. It's nice to just put, like... I think people yeah, do enjoy yeah. just kind of, like, solving this kind of stuff. And it's always... But, I've, like, it's always set a standard for me. So I remember, like, Professor Layton became really big. Um, in the late aughts, I guess. Um, and I bet those games are like totally charming and fine or whatever but it's always kind of like here's a story and now let's stop for a puzzle and I never found that satisfying it's like I need this stuff all tied together like the puzzle needs to be a part of the story Um, and although I haven't played I mean like there are still small like widget eyes still still, like kind of like busting them out here and there and I embarrassing like haven't played that many of the new ones like one of my more recent forum memories is weirdly broken sword five um dedication to that franchise really grew over time um i think that's the second best broken sword game actually yeah although again that first one i think if it weren't for the fact that re- you know resolution is a thing like a game was made for a standard definition four by three monitors yeah i find now too like the more modern take like where without trying to replicate what the older games did is more things like the Telltale sort of formula or, like, Life is Strange, where it's more of storytelling with a little bit of puzzle but not much. Um, it's not really the, to the same level. It's, it's not the same thing. It has its own merit on its own ground, but, boy, yeah. like, when oh, Telltale, like, remade... Like, not even remade, but, like, made that new Sam and Max, oh, my God, I was so happy. Yeah, I mean, even... Back to when they did the Back to the Future series, that mm. was just, just especially as a Back to the Future fan, that was just so much sort of fan service mixed with like it just really worked. Yeah, I mean that's what they were doing until um yeah the I can't believe I've forgotten the zombie game name Walking Dead. The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead became huge, and then literally everything they did after that was in that mold. Yeah, and then, like if they could, I mean whatever Telltale's 
a weird, messy story now, but imagine if they could kind yeah. of, like, combine some of the way that dialogue worked with actual puzzle solving and multiple yeah. branching paths with multiple solutions. You could have something super spectacular that probably, I guess, would not actually be worth a production cost. <laughs> so if an eccentric billionaire would like to find my perfect game. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I guess with this, Nick, have you got, like, a top three, like, all-time stuff? I, as you know, I'm going to frame this as, like, a Desert Island 3. So maybe not necessarily your favorite three, but if you could just have, like, three adventure games, you would only be allowed to play ever again. And you'd have to enjoy the modern, so in some ways, these are going to work as recommendations for stuff that people might want to check out. What would you go with? Um... Monkey Island 2 is definitely on the list because it captures that sort of my first experience with the, with the franchise. Um, both coming into it with the part of the story already told, being caught up to it, and then with just it being such a much bigger game than Secret of Monkey Island was. And I guess still more open um, than what we get with Return. Um, second uh, would I think Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. It's wow. a weird game. Uh, it's one of the older LucasArts ones, I think, when they were still calling it Lucasfilm or Lucasfilm Games. Um, it's about a reporter who uncovers an alien invasion and has to go to Mars to activate a secret device to stop them controlling the population through the phone company. Okay, sure. So... Yeah, it's strange. Um, and I think just because of it being an old favourite and just having so many really cool moments in it, um, Quest for Glory 4 would be my other. Um, so, yes, I've basically stuck it's with... Sierra, you got in there. Did yeah, you? I've just basically stuck with the old favourites. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely a lot of choices out there and like there's also or at least used to be like a pretty big um scene of people that would modify like or do not mods so much but like would actually use the old Sierra engines to actually create their own games mm. like there was a big fan scene back in I guess the early 2000s really um and I know there's still a handful out there that are using similar engines um I mean in fact I think yeah, one of the... Like, the Widget Eye stuff looks very similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, plus there was um, the whole... There was a whole lot of um, fan remakes um, where they basically did um, better versions or, uh, I guess, the more graphical versions of the older ones that didn't actually get taken across. So I think there was remakes of, like, King's Quest 2 and 3. I remember I Activision, they... like, having some legal action there. I don't know if they are. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm going to Google that after we're done. <laughs> yeah, I might do the same. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'd sit though, with it, though. Yeah, I think for me, I actually would still... I played it again two or three years ago, and that's how I can now confidently claim it's still funny. It's like Sam and Max hit the road, held up shockingly well to me, actually. Um, like, again, right down to the voice acting, the puzzles. I mean, the interface could have been a bit more simple. That's something it kind of, like, progressed with time. But it was a very early example um, of an important develop 
important development in the way that genre worked where it like allowed you to work on multiple puzzles at the same time like it wasn't just a linear progression like different areas would open up depending on which ways you went about things um which was i think a huge relief for me i would obviously also have to go with broken sword i would happily just take um the remake if that's still available on ios or android maybe even that version just for practicality reasons um for me picking a third would actually be really tough a part of me wants to say Grim Fandango because I just want to like just load up Rubicava and run around Rubicava but I didn't actually finish it like I have a non-free copy of um no I I finished my original copy that I bought back on disc I didn't finish actually finish the HD copy I actually got annoyed enough at I think one of the giant cat race puzzles that I never actually saw it through to the end again there um, I might just by means of like having something to recommend that people might enjoy these days even maybe say Machinarium like I just I think yeah. that's like f- yeah. in the scheme of things recent it's not a recent game anymore it's like 2011 2010 yeah like it's an adorable little quite approachable game very little if any dialogue um, a little steampunk style um, I will, you know, I will ask you anyway, but I don't expect much. Ken, do you have any fond memories of any? Fond memories of old adventure games. I, you were not to, rec- you were not to recommend EcoQuest. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, like I said, like this, this genre generally passed me by. It wasn't something that I put a lot of time into. I, I've been aware of these games more than I've actually played them. Um, Grim Fandango was really my first true love um, in the genre um, and I think probably remains there as my one true love um, you know, I've, I've it is very good I fiddled around a little bit with Phantasmagoria, like I said, huddled around the screen, co-playing it with other other friends, huddled around somebody. But like literally screen. because it was a forbidden fruit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I know that lots of friends uh, really liked the Leisure Suit Larry series. That also should have been a forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah, that's, it kind of kind of was still going. Yeah, it is super somehow. weird that that's the one that's still around. Yeah, yeah. it's very I've, weird. I think it's it's because it's so like 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 it's kind of college humor always has some sort of college humor. Yeah, but it it pretends to be risque, but it's, it's really not. not. It's just tacky. It's tacky, but yeah. tacky in the. I don't know, tacky in that sort of like goofball, lovable way. I guess that people just sort it's of just kind of cute enough to get away with it actually it's worth yeah. point, worth actually pointing out that um it kind of came and went but that um new king's quest that they did a few years ago was that aside from one episode that was way too much block mo- block moving shit was actually pretty good and i really i really did enjoy like <laughs> i really did enjoy the walking dead um adventure games oh a lot of like, people I, did I, I, yeah. I was I was very particularly I think with the first two or three episodes I was very emotionally invested, but I then after that 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 sort of episodic um, grind just killed me because like yeah. yeah I missed one 
episode. Oh, I'll do it next time, and then next time there were two episodes to do. It I'm like, oh, does get like that, yeah. And then I'm like, oh wait, no, it's 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 too far gone now. I've now I've now got like three things to catch up with. Like, nah. <laughs> I think it was six six or seven episodes in the end. Like, I was very deep into like th- the first few, and then like it piled Life gets up in the way. Yeah. Life gets in the way, and it piled up, and I couldn't catch up. And like, okay, I'll just sort of. I guess my journey with you has ended. Um. And I think that's more the case for me with with adventure games in general. It's like my journey with those games, you know, ended prematurely. Like very few games, I actually sort of saw through to the end. Um, I think that was a common thing of the time, actually, because you would hit that puzzle you can't solve, and then, especially if you yeah. didn't have anybody to talk it over with. Now, yeah, and thank and you thank can just God Google like it, and at guides. some point you yeah. just should, frankly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what, like game facts, uh, FAQ, a game, game yeah. FAQ. Oh, yeah. Game Around facts, like 2003, like, that game, that site was like, <laughs> now you just Google yeah. what you need that to figure out. Massive. Yeah. It's actually yeah, weird and, because, um, I actually really, really, really like Gabriel Knight 3. Um, and I bet it's probably not that bad to play now if you like can get your head around the interface because two really dumb puzzles, you could literally just Google them. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I think um, had those been you know those FAQs been more game been more uh, readily available, I would have seen more through. But mm. yeah, so, so I think like Ed Grimfandang, like like ultimately I I just come back with Grimfandango just because of that. I think the uh, world building. What, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I the world that, is amazing. I think that's what that's what. And I think, you know, those are the sort of common themes with, with Walking Dead as well. Um, I think Walking Dead had a pre-established universe that it yeah. could sort of glom onto, so, so that's one thing. But what good adventure games do very, very well is, you know, it's the intersection of the world that you sort of exist in. Because you spend a lot of time in that world because you're that's, sort of you could like... argue that's most of what you're doing is just spending time yeah, in yeah, that world. You're yeah. spending time in, in that static, well, not static, but you you do spend a lot of time existing in that world. So the world has to got to be interesting. So the yeah. good adventure games have the the really interesting world building, the really interesting sort of like premise. Um character has got to be part of it, like compelling characters, compelling narratives around why they're doing what they're doing and, and because adventure games again it's always about searching for something you're looking for something you know but why are you lo- why are you looking because okay. you want to be a pirate yeah but like <laughs> you want to be part of their sort of their journey so grim fandango like i just wanted to i just wanted to know what happens to manny calavera yeah, like like and then the puzzles are interesting enough to be like okay you know I, my brain is almost there my brain is engaged um I can figure this out. I don't need help. I can figure it out. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm more often than not, I'm cheating. But it's like when all these bits and pieces like start kicking off in like in, 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 into high gear, that's when a, an adventure game really comes into its yeah. own. Like, you know, the world is interesting. The character, the character, you know, narratives and their sort of their the reason for them being in that world is is compelling the puzzles are like just enough to get your brain juices going um 
and the resolution is is also like okay you know satisfying it's like when all these like component pieces are kicking off like yeah it's 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 it can be quite a special experience and i think you know even though i haven't played that many uh grim fandango just sort of sits right at the intersection of multiple 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 components the sort of really really performing you know firing on all cylinders so always Grim Fandango and the more well, I get to talk about that game yeah. <laughs> it's worth at least ex- ex- even if you don't finish it it's worth experiencing just to get to Rubicava and be in that world oh, just Rubicava yeah. yeah god anyway yeah um, so yeah Ken thank you for coming along for the ride Thank you very much for having me. Any anything coming up soon that you wish to? Uh I think I I did a recent player two plays video. I'm not sure if it's online yet. It is definitely uploaded to the YouTube channel. So uh, if it's not online now, remember to check it out when it comes through. And I think probably I've got a, another few more queued up uh, that that I will be doing over the next little bit as well. So more player two plays videos coming to the YouTube channel. And then you can find me at Pixel Hunt on Twitter. All right, cool. Um, and Nick, are you going to join us again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully, I'll have something to new to talk about. Yeah, I'll be, I figure that's how that works. Um, yeah. I think you'll find that we just keep rambling on yeah. about various. Although things. I this this is fascinating because I've actually logged into my um, Kickstarter, like just to check on some stuff and. It, Maybe, maybe this space venture game actually got made, and I need to check my like email, which is not my main email because I don't want all my spam. Like I sign up for yep. everything, Facebook, whatever, on my non-main email. So maybe that actually exists, and just it came out, and nobody cares. I'm not sure. <laughs> I need to check anyway. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, as for me, I am at pretendbeard on the Twitters. I don't have anything aside from this podcast coming up on the site in the immediate future. But I am going to check my email now. The one that I never look at. <laughs> like, we're talking like a week ago. Oh, wow, that's pretty recent. Yeah. But yeah. Also fascinating that if it's come out, like, there's been so little...